Hello, good people of Europe. So in today's episode, I am interviewing Alex, and together we're going to dive into the world of personal finance and mental health and how the two correlate with each other. So effectively, we're going to run through a number of examples and kind of like, how do you evaluate what is the value of, say, a product and the stress I can potentially say for it? And also, how is money actually giving us stress? In what situations uh, is it actually really working against us? Uh, this is personally for me a really interesting topic because it's something I've struggled with quite a bit, actually learning to spend, to enjoy money uh, and not be crazy frugal. And that might be extremely easy for most people, but it's just one of those things. Everybody has their own personal relation with money, what it means to them. Alex and me will run through our stories together and I hope this will be of some value to you. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Erminta and Matthias. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Financial Independence Europe podcast. So today we're going to do something that I don't necessarily think we've done before really on such a focus level. We're going to cover the mental aspects of finance, um, what it does to your mind, your state of mind and everything related to it. Um, together to do this with me, I've got Alex from the UK. Alex, great having you. Uh, thanks, Alvaro. It's good to be here. And actually, minor disclaimer slash preview no snip noting for the future alex and i were launching a, a podcast together in the uk where you can listen to him if you ever feel like it which will probably launch anywhere in the next four or five weeks so that's going to be pretty awesome but anyway just to get started alex can you tell the audience um a little bit about yourself where you're from how you came in touch in fi and why you're the guy to talk about finance and mental health well i'm not sure i'm the guy but sure um <laughs> i'm uh I'm Alex. I'm 31. Um, I live with my future wife in Kent in uh, England. I've just qualified as a mental health nurse or psychiatric nurse. And I first discovered the idea of financial independence purely through reading blogs and things online. Um, Originally, I did read the fabled Mr. Money Moustache, um, Simple Maths to Retirement. And then it got me really intrigued. I did a lot more reading after that. I'm still reading, still learning. But then it just kind of cemented this idea in my head that actually work can be an optional thing. And that links really nicely with the mental health studies I've done because I've seen an awful lot of money issues causing people anxiety. And without that, it gives you a lot more choice, a lot more freedom. And there's an awful lot less kind of risk of you um, having mental health issues. So that's kind of my background. That's where I come at this from, which is a different point of view to you, Alvar, isn't it? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, from my perspective, I'm really getting at this from like the way I got into financial independence was just, okay, I want something else. There's more to life than this. I want freedom. I want options. And also at the same time, having a really narrow-minded scarcity mindset around money like myself personally. And five for me has been a way of kind of like getting out of that. Whereas the um, money has become more of a tool and getting the scarcity mindset out of me fine has really been a thing well together with my girlfriend that helped me see it as a tool and enjoy it in the way i wanted and get value out of it uh that's kind of my angle and perspective on this one actually before we kind of like pivot to uh, more towards into that alex i quickly just wanted to ask 
in terms of actually reaching Phi, you've got a few really interesting things going yourself. Could you just quickly mention uh, them, kind of like your approach? How will you get to Phi in the end and how long will it take you? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I have a couple of um, like sources of income. Uh, obviously, I have my regular nursing job. Um, I can also work extra shifts like the bank shifts with nursing that are always available due to the shortage currently in the UK, which is really it's a real privilege to be able to do that, to have the choice to do that. Um, I also have a couple of other kind of um, side hustles or other income streams, as you call them. Uh, we run Airbnb from our house uh, in Kent. Um, it's close to the port of Dover, which is ideal for people traveling in and out of Europe. Um, and also we got very lucky that there's a couple of um, uh, cool kind of educational courses run um, in blocks throughout the year down here. So we have a lot of students come and stay with us for two week blocks each time. So that works really well for us. Um, apart from that, we also keep chickens. Uh, we sell a couple of their eggs every now and then. Um, that's more to pay for their feed than getting us towards the financial independence kind of line, as it were. Um, but we live a very frugal kind of lifestyle as well. And we kind of intentionally spend any money we do spend so it all kind of meshes together to uh give us a good we'll have a good go at kind of being financially independent nice one how long will it take you no idea uh i'll be honest with you the number the magic number for financial independence for us changes a little bit um it just kind of steadily goes up um but i think i think it's probably realistically going to take us about 15 years or so um and i say that instead of kind of the normal or lesser kind of um, time frame because uh, we haven't factored in costs for children. Um, I've heard they're very expensive and I also will probably relocate uh, at some point, which has um, kind of an unmeasurable cost to it if you have to do and renovate houses and, uh, and all the other associated costs that go along with that. Um, but I'm just going to set good basics that we're going to stick to and uh, luckily for me, my future wife's very on board with the idea. So um, that's really, really beneficial. Um, but we'll set some good good ground basics, run with those uh, for as long as possible, make alterations along along the way if we need to, and ultimately do as much as we can to reach it as quickly as possible. Nice one. And in the end, if you don't enjoy the journey, if you go full and reach it in five years and work in London and you're burned out in the end, what's the point? So even if it takes you 15 years better, nice steady good base and it makes you happy why not it's the thing i try to learn even more so i'm jealous of you having that balance found already yeah i agree i mean it can take you if you do say work to the extreme uh, and you mentally and physically burn yourself out or you reach your burnout point that can take you months if not years to recover from um i'd rather take it at a more leisurely pace um, and still enjoy life as we're going at this um rather than just burn the candle at both ends and end up needing holidays away from everything just to recoup, refocus. Um, so my our, my and our method at reaching financial independence is very much um, part of the journey. It's not just a, an all-out race to the finish line. We're taking more of a marathon approach because our, our path, will it will twist, it will turn, we'll change and adapt as we go. Um, and ultimately, I think we'll come out the other end with a good kind of footing for where we're going to go after that. And that's the best thing you could possibly have said. And um, also the best way of getting to it. And I think that also makes for a nice pivot into the main topic of this episode. 
the mental component of finance of money what does it actually do to you and i know uh, you've personally uh, i mean professionally you encounter a lot of people who really struggle uh with money right could you maybe tell us a little bit about it and what are kind of like the biggest things they worry and stress about yeah sure i mean across my my professional kind of nursing job and as well as i was a student i saw a lot of people with mental health issues um and i still do on a daily basis and i would say a conservative estimate would be 80 to 85% of them have financial issues financial worries um which is kind of exacerbates stress exacerbates anxiety can cause depression or worsening symptoms of any of those three um and i think if you are mentally unwell finances and rightly so will take a back seat and things can very quickly get out of control uh, financially so when you are back feeling better and you're more well again in yourself you can find yourself at the bottom of a financial mountain which is really difficult to climb and it can make things really really hard um as if life isn't hard enough already for somebody suffering with mental ill health um financially it can cause a whole new level of uh, difficulty to that person so i try and try and educate people as we go along to try and mitigate the issues that they'll face but also talking to people about where they can find support what they can do about their situation is a really valuable tool um a lot of other nurses colleagues psychiatrists doctors i've spoken to and worked with they don't have an idea of how to solve people's financial issues they more often than not will recommend speaking to citizens advice bureau in the uk which is a um citizens of your local community will come together under that banner to provide assistance support guidance for people with financial issues it's a really good service um if anybody is is having issues with finances and they don't know where to turn citizens advice bureau or cab as it's known would be a very good first point and one thing i'm also straight wondering about then so um i've like personally struggled quite a bit with stress around money not necessarily about not having enough but about having actually crazy focus on trying to save as much as possible but being afraid of like oh i need to save 80% of my income even while I was studying a month because otherwise I will run out or otherwise this will go wrong and that kind of like scarcity mindset not uh, thinking from like a, a abundancy uh, perspective that's something I really see in uh, a lot of people around me that the limitations they've got in terms of money also really reflect their mood their well-being uh the choices they make them skipping that holiday or dinner that would have been so important for their relation or family but simply skipping it because they're afraid to spend even if they have the money and if they don't often they just still spend it and get into that like if we kind of like think from that perspective what are like the biggest issues you encounter yourself because obviously we know in the US people have got hundreds of thousands of dollars in uh, student loans um or consumer debt i don't really think that's the case that much in europe i mean definitely so but maybe i'm completely wrong what are you seeing yourself no I, i don't think you're wrong um i think it's just a slightly different angle to the the us kind of um issue with that i think that there's a term that i kind of stumbled across a couple of weeks ago that's kind of financial health we have physical health uh, mental health um and i also think financial health is a good a good kind of term to pick up and use because actually if you are financially healthy you're more able to weather difficulties in life 
um, if you need to go somewhere or do something um, really, really quickly, kind of with no notice, if you have the money in place, you can do it. You don't have to think about it. Whereas if you have to put it on credit or you have to borrow or you simply cannot do something that you feel you need to do, whether that's visit a family member or um, travel away somewhere to see somebody you've not seen for a long time and you feel it's you really need to do it then and there, if you have the money to do it, then it's not a problem. It's just a time thing. It, it kind of gets rid of one of the barriers to doing that thing that you think or you'd like or you need to do. Um, and I think getting into financial independence is a bit of a double-edged sword. You move away from the the issues of not having enough money to do things. And I don't know if you feel the same, but whilst I've been learning about it and starting and beginning this journey, I've had these kind of creeping thoughts about, am I saving enough? Is this the best use of money? Or can I absolutely afford that? Do I need it? Um, and I think out of all of those things, it's the not wanting to spend money because it will put back the date that I can become financially independent. It's probably the most difficult one to manage. Um, and I've managed to kind of, well, deal with that um, by thinking intentionally about what I'm going to buy. Um, so I'll think about how long it takes me to work to earn the money to buy whatever the item service thing is. Um, and then I'll also think about how much time will that save me to have this thing, to buy this service um, or this item or whatever it may be. So I, th- I kind of weigh it up that way. And I always, I think about whether the, and I, when I have decided to buy an item, I think about whether it's well-made, is it going to last a long time or is it is it a disposable thing? I don't like disposable items, particularly outside the medical field. Um, and I, I kind of go through that process each time. So it does take me a long time to commit to a purchase, which is a, a kind of um, a roundabout way. It's the fault of trying to become financially independent, that that kind of creeps in and becomes your normal. Um, so I can spend a couple of days thinking about whether I'm going to do something or not, when in that time frame things could change, I could have missed an opportunity to do something else. So it is something I constantly work to, to try and um, make that more efficient, to be less focused on the small things and think more about the bigger picture of where we're headed um, and not kind of think about the smaller things in so much detail that it distracts me from the the journey really and where we're where we're heading. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, most definitely. And I recognize that myself as well. What I often tend to do is kind of like think when I purchase something, okay, hey, how long does it take me to work for it? Also, um, when you take the actual purchase price, when you multiply by 1.4, that's often the actual pre-tax amount you'll pay for it, like um, in terms of working. And one thing I often tend to do is like, actually, if I want to buy something, I'm waiting a full week until I will actually buy it in yet. And if I still want it at that very point, I'll get it. But getting that in and finding the right balance between when do I buy something and when do I skip, I still struggle that even last year um, during Christmas, I wanted to go um, over to Switzerland to visit a family of my girlfriend and spend Christmas over there. And not solely because of the reason I also couldn't get off of work, but one of the reasons, the actual prices of the flights. I believe it was like 260, 270-ish pounds, like maybe like 300 euro return, which for some people is probably not much for a flight, but it scared the heck out of me. I kept checking it and checking it and like, oh, why doesn't this go lower? In the end, I was too late with booking because another colleague already had um, off of work. Uh, But that money, that, that slowed me down of making the choice. And in the end, 
on the grand scheme of things, it's 300 euro. It's, it is a reasonable sum, but in return of being able to spend, spend family or well, Christmas with family, that yeah, that, that's that's no question you can ask. So this year, obviously, I just booked straight away on the spot and didn't even think about it. But still, even now, even a year back, I struggled, which I mean, I'm generally a bit ashamed of in some ways, even that things that can be so important for family or for yourself, you still, if there's a price tag to it, it's still you'll think about it and sometimes you'll think too long and you wait too long and then it's gone. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. It's it's a good learning curve um, and it does prove that you have learned from it because you still do think about it um, and you did the opposite the next year. Um, but do you do you regret doing it? Probably not because you've spent Christmas in, in Switzerland with your partner's family. Um, and I often think about, even though it might cost quite a lot up front, you won't remember how much the flights cost or how much lunch was on the day that you travelled. You will remember the time you spent with your family and with your partner's family, with your future kind of family if you get married. Um, so I think about it that way. You can always earn more money for the most part. For most people, that's true. Um, and one of our biggest assets is our ability to earn more money. So you can always replace that. What you can't replace is time. And you can't replace the time you could have spent with members of your family, friends, uh, anybody really, um, that's the thing you can't replace. So time for me, and I know you've said it before, Alvar, time is the most valuable thing um, that no amount of money can can replace. You can't buy more time. Um, you can only choose how to spend the time that you have. Uh, very fair. And also one thing I often forget, you know, the amounts we save on an annual basis compounded over the next 80, 90 years or whatever long we'll live, that is far more money than we'll ever, ever need. And obviously, if we would keep uh, working until whatever period, but that principle, you can miss a certain amount, a month or a year, if that really helps your quality of life in the end. Um, a couple examples. Um, actually, having a bike for me, not even just as a transport model, but I bought one for like 50 pounds a couple of months back. It adds so much value to my life. Like it's probably 5,000 pounds of value to my life in terms of the 50 it costed to me. Like it, the joy is giving me if I had to put a number on it. Well, at the same time, somebody else can go for dinner to an extremely fancy restaurant, spend 300 pounds on it or euro or whatever. And I'm sitting there like, why the heck do you order this bottle of wine? What's the point? Go to the burger place around the corner and go 15 times instead of once. And you'll spend the same same amount of joy. And I guess that's also in the end, where do you get your joy out of in terms of things you get? Are they related to the amount of money you spend? If they are, then spend whatever is needed to get you the most amount of joy. Absolutely. Uh, but if they're not, um, I guess why bother almost around that? But anyway, kind of like, what are your thoughts on that, Alex? Have you ever experienced something like that yourself? A little bit, yeah. I, mean, I think that's fundamentally it's it's an issue of perspective isn't it if somebody thinks that spending an arbitrary figure say 300 pounds on a meal is good value um, and they really really enjoy the food and it'll be a one-time thing for them or it could be an annual thing whatever depending on your salary how much money you have um it could be worth it to somebody um somebody else might think oh i'd never spend that much that's my rent for the month or that would keep my house warm for two months um i can't justify spending that on one dinner um, I mean, that could have bought you and your partner flights to Switzerland and back, whereas somebody else just eats it in an evening. Um, I think it's all about perspective. 
really and whether you can justify that to you. Uh, I think if you say you earn, I don't know, for an example, £10,000 a month, £300 on dinner wouldn't seem extravagant. If you earn, I don't know, £900 a month, £300 on dinner would be incredibly extravagant. So, I mean, everybody's perspective will be different. Everybody's choices will be different. Um, And I think you just have to make the best choice for you in your own personal situation. And I think if it, like you said, the bike, you bought it for £50, yet it's worth, say, £5,000 of value to you, the bike's good all around. It could be the best £50 you ever you spend this year because you cycle. It's good for physical health. Cycling's good for mental health, being outside, meeting people, socialising, good for mental health. Um, and it's good for your financial health. If you can cycle, you're not taking taxis, you don't have to take the bus, you don't take trains, you're less likely to have a car if you can cycle everywhere. So it saves you, I would say, within a month, you'd have saved the cost of buying the bike anyway, and you still own the bike. Oh. Heck yeah. And uh, for, uh, the only time I've ever owned a car in my life is in New Zealand and it was just for three months. Funny note on that, actually bought that for, um, I mean, if you convert it two pounds, it's probably we bought it for like 1500 pounds or so. And in the end sold it for double. Uh, well, after we left the country after traveling, so it was a nice way of actually filling the holiday. Uh, but besides that, I've never, ever owned a car in my life and I'm not interested in owning one. Although I can obviously understand that people have practical slash fun reasons for owning one. But one thing I actually want to ask you, Alex, if you had to kind of like reason for purchases that are really cheap for you, but have extreme value, like for your life, could you mention a couple, you know, as the example I gave for the bike for myself, do you have a few where you bought them and you're like, wow, I mean, I would not pay 5,000 for them, but that like they've really, really improved my life. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, again, it's it's um, an individual thing. What What's important to me will be different to what's important to you. Um, but I think if, if I had to think of one thing or a couple of things that have really been beneficial, I would say out of all the things, I bought a king-size pine bed secondhand and a, a new mattress to go with it. Uh, and that, although the mattress was expensive, um, you spend your, your third of your life uh, sleeping um so it might as well be a good quality one and, I, and I, I do get really really good sleep from it um so i don't think that that's that's wasted money at all so and in that kind of on that same vein um my future wife and i we bought some really good kind of um saucepans for cooking with we cook a lot from home cook a lot from scratch we grow a lot of vegetables um and these pans will literally outlast us they're like cast iron things um, again, comes from somebody secondhand, um, and we wash them, and we've been using them for about four years now, and they're just as good now as when we bought them. I literally think well, we'll pass these pans down to our children, and they'll continue to get value from it. So even though they're maybe a hundred pounds each to buy new, that's a guess, a figure. Um, I would say that's it's it's worth it because you keep them for so long, you use them. We use them every single day, sometimes multiple times a day. And the cost per use for that will be pence by the time we're finished with them. Um, and just the amount of value we get from them is is huge. So it doesn't have to be something physical. It can be something else that, that people enjoy. But something that you really get value from is always worth the money, in my, my opinion. And it doesn't really matter what that costs. If it's worth it to you as an individual, if it makes your life easier, better, I, th- I think it's definitely worth it. I mean, there's something that I've been thinking about um, signing up to for a long time. Um, I've used the trial version of an app called Headspace, which is a bit kind of 
meditation based it's a bit mindfulness it's a bit kind of help you get to sleep kind of type service it talks to you talks you through things i found that incredibly helpful i do recommend that to a lot of people i work with uh colleagues as well as kind of clients or patients and i do feel like uh i think it's something like 70 pounds or 60 pounds a year or something but that would add so much value to my life that um i decided last week that i was going to go for it um and i don't regret it at all i could always earn more money and but what it does give me is time to collect my thoughts reflection reflective time to think back on how the day's gone and it helps me sleep if i've had a particularly difficult day um and my my brain is turning really quickly or it's spinning from who i've spoken to the things i've seen the people i've talked to it's it's really helpful it's really beneficial for me so i don't feel like that's a waste of a waste of money at all quick question in between uh so i was looking into headspace as well i'm using an application called tracks to relax which is just effectively a podcast um Mm -hmm. with tons and tons of nice relaxing noises um you can use to fall asleep with and i literally just listen to that every 20, 30 minutes before I go to bed and I'll fall asleep with that. And then I found it really helpful. And I've tried the trial version of Headspace as well. And I've heard lots of people kind of like saying, is it is it true that it's kind of like celebrities who whisper in your ear like nice, cozy information and then you fall asleep from there? Or or, or like, how does it work? I, I don't know about celebrities. Um, I thought it was just the chap who invented the app who goes through techniques with you to, to help you kind of sleep yeah but i yeah, i just generally find it interesting from that respect just quickly wanted to pivot into that one addition i would do have to is an application called uh, blinkist which is just effectively summaries of really good books in 15 minutes in audio format um in a really professional well done way um yeah you pay for it 70 pounds a year but the amount of learning you can do in a short uh, span of time through that, like certain books like The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, would take me two hours to read. Um, I've actually read it years back, um, but I re-listened to the audiobook um, a couple of days ago and I really enjoyed it. I think in that case, you know, it's just kind of like determining what is the mental, emotional value, like how much relentlessness do I get out of this 70, 80 or whatever it is a year. One thing I also find interesting you mentioned the amount of users you get out of it. Let's say those pens, you know, you use them 500 times. You pay like 40p, 50 euro cents or whatever per usage, just nothing. And I guess that's also a good way of kind of like looking at things because often, you know, sometimes people buy, you know, they spend a thousand on a phone and to some people that looks completely nuts. To me, it often does. But imagine I use this phone every single day, four hours a day for work, private, everything for three years, then a thousand for three years 333 a year doesn't sound that bad if you think about it like that um so as you said it's always placing things into perspective yeah i mean your usage of the phone is less than a pound a day which if you work it out like that seems unbelievable value um i often do that i do the maths backwards and say well it's cost this much say it costs 100 pounds but i'll use it 100 times uh in a year so it's cost me a pound a go uh, and I still own it for the next year. So the cost per use goes down. Uh, and it's interesting, you mentioned about the books, the Blinkcast books and Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Highly Effective Habits book. Um, I literally have that sitting next to me and I am currently about a third of the way through it. So I'm interested to know that you've listened to the core messages of that through this this website or service. And it would be interesting to know if I get the same 
stuff out of the book that you've got from not when you've read it before, but when you've kind of re recovered it back with this new service and whether you, you get the same stuff as I get from it, that would be an interesting thing. Awesome. Once you're done, we should compare and uh, see where we go from there. Um, like that one, one last note I would like to make on the whole kind of like dosing one, one technique I tend to use if it comes to kind of like saving up for larger purchases to make them easier is say, for example, I, I mean, I'm a gamer. I like laptops. I probably spent seven, 800 euro easily on a laptop, which I'll use for four five years straight, but that 800 euro or pounds or whatever, I'll divide it by let's say four years times 12, those 48 months, 48 portions of that. I save that every single month in an account. So when this computer actually breaks, it's I've saved actual money for it to purchase the new one. It doesn't hurt. It's just, okay, the budget is there. The money is there. I mean, I don't even know how much is in my laptop fund right now, but I know once I'll reach the point when I need one, the money will be there to get a new one. Even if not, I would still have the funds to get a new one, but it's more the principle and saving in advance to make emotional stress. Um, just, um, kind of like the pressure on myself less and just, okay, I need this. The money is there. I'll get it. Boom, job done. And I know it's a really common budgeting technique, but I think lots of people don't use it. And it's worth mentioning. Do you have any kind of like of those kind of like hacks or life tricks you use yourself? Absolutely. Uh, and I do agree. It's one of the most useful things you can do, but not many people in my experience do it. I don't have one for particularly for laptops. I do have one for um, our vehicles. Uh, we've got three between us at the moment. We've got two cars and a camper van. And I have something that's called the Fleet Fund, which is just our small fleet of vehicles. Um, I fund it every month. Um, so I put in a bit for each MOT, each bit of insurance or car tax, etc. I can work out roughly how much those will be. I add a little bit extra to it to account for unanticipated kind of costs. So when when my car does fail its MOT and it needs a couple of hundred pounds of work, the, like you said, the money is there. It's waiting to be spent on that thing. I've already allocated it to be spent on one of the cars or the van. And it's it's a very, very useful thing to not have to panic when the mechanic phoned you and said, oh, your car's failed its MOT, it'll be £400 or whatever. Um, I, I have the money sitting waiting to pay that. I can either decide to go ahead, no problem, here's the money for it. I haven't had to borrow uh, on credit, having to borrow from friends or family or work, I don't know, a couple of extra shifts to be able to afford that. Um, and I think it's an incredibly useful thing. And I don't know why more people don't do it because it, it solves so much stress and anxiety in my own life that I don't, I, I literally don't have to worry about these things because I know I have a surplus of money in that particular bank account for that particular reason. Um, and it can be used whenever it, whenever it needs to be. It's in a cash accessible account. It doesn't gather much interest, but um, is accessible within a moment's notice. Uh, and it's because of that, I have a lot less worry about other things. So I don't know, do you find the same thing? Like having, do you have more than one of those funds for things that you might need? Um, well, I've got one for holiday, laptops, electronics, uh, moving, kind of like every big life category for me. Like that's how I budget. I'll have to, I mean, I use an application in the UK called Monzo and I've got pots with them, a pot that's just effectively a small savings account. And every month I allocate a certain sum to that. At the same time, I'm also really curious what your thoughts on the next Alex to kind of slowly wrap up as well. But budgeting, um, kind of like, how do you budget? Like for myself, I budget in an organic kind of way, as in I don't track, oh, I've spent 
58 or 63 exactly this month. I don't care about that. I know there is plenty um, in terms of what I save on a monthly basis. So for me, it's just literally, okay, hey, um, my salary comes in. I roughly transfer um, 1500 a month to my eyes on my Vanguard account, goes in there, stays there. Yay, thank you for that. That goes off and whatever is left, uh, I kind of like spend with and every month, although I don't track it like category wise, it's always roughly the same amount left, maybe 20, 30 less, but always roughly the same. Um, and besides that's 1500, I've got all automatic deductions set up for um, all those categories I, early, I mentioned earlier in terms of um, the actual uh, laptop fund and all those. Those are automatically transferred out. And then I just spend from my checking, go from there, gets the job done and the rest is all automated. Um, and I really liked it because it makes it simple, straightforward. And in the end, my, okay, my personal financial administration system is a bit more than this. This is just my core job, what it earns and how I spend on a daily basis. The setup of things, how I organize my internationally and between all the countries and pension systems I moved goes to like a pretty ridiculous level in terms of complexity, but I enjoy doing that. But we're not going to discuss it on this episode. That's one for, let's say, in five years. Anyway, Alex, I just wanted to ask, how do you budget yourself? What is your way? I do exactly what well, something very similar to you. Um, automation for me is the most important thing. If I have to think about it for too long, it can become really tiresome. So when my salary comes in, I allocate bits of it to wherever it needs to go. I spend a particular amount each month off the mortgage. I spend, I transfer another bit, sorry, into the fleet fund, another bit into house modernization uh, or kind of house-related fund if we need anything for the for the home, for the house. I also then have a savings account and I have, I, I, do, I make a, a transfer to that of a set amount each month. Um, and I don't, I don't quibble kind of over the smaller amounts. I, I wouldn't be bothered if I have kind of 30, 40, 50 less or, for, or more in a particular account than I'd expected to. I would more think about the core things about doing it. I think it goes back to those three core principles or avoid consumer debt. So you're not paying those out every single month. Spend less than you make. So you always have some room for saving something um, and invest the rest, which we can cover at a later episode. Uh, I think if you cover those things and you make your your saving automated, so the first thing I do before and I pay any any other bill, any other thing that's going on is I pay me and my future wife first. So I transfer the same as you money into a savings account. That's the first thing that happens. And what I have left after that set amount is the money I have for everything else. So that's when I'll pay the, the, the mortgage, the taxes, food, groceries, whatever. Another thing that we do is we decide what we're going to have. It's, it's a bit strange, but we decide what we're going to have for dinner for the week. Um, we then write down all the ingredients we need, minus any ingredients that we already have at home. Um, and we write a list uh, and we stick to the list. It prevents impulse purchases when you're going in a supermarket. So that's really helpful. It helps us keep kind of track of a budget. And we stick to that with those things. We both agree on what we're going to get and we both go and get it. And I think we do a similar thing about, we think about if there's something we're both thinking we might need that, we'll talk to the other person about it. It's then a really good way of thinking, do I actually need it? Or is it a want? Is it an impulse purchase? If we both agree we need it, we'll wait a couple of days. Um, we'll find out where we can get whatever the item or service is, um, which is a good quality thing for as little money as possible, um, depending on the item, of course. Um, but before we do any of that about purchasing, it, if it's a one-off thing, say we need to borrow, I don't know, 
some machinery or something, garden machinery, whatever. We'll see if we can borrow it from somebody or we can rent it for a, a couple of days. Um, often that's a cheaper way of doing it than buying the item. You have to store it, maintain it. It can be a good way of kind of looking at it. But we do a very similar thing. We have a budget. I think everything needs to start with a budget. It doesn't have to be a difficult, complicated 10-tab spreadsheet that only you understand. It can be as simple as, I have this much money for this particular thing. Let's not go over it. And then it's those small habits that all join together to create good financial habits. And then in the future, good financial health as a result of that. Very nice one, Alex. And now I would say let's slowly wrap this up and fire the last final questions of the episode at you. Are you ready? Yeah, of course. Good stuff. So Alex, if people want to find more about you, get in touch, where can they find you? Um, they can find me um, with you on your Financial Independence UK podcast, I suppose. Yay. Yeah, that's it. Um, also, you could, um, I suppose we could put some kind of email link in if people have particular mental health Most questions. Definitely. Yeah. That you can either leave a comment below uh, the podcast episode and I'll come back to you. I'll, I'll try and help you where I can. Uh, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a doctor. Uh, I do know a little bit about some stuff and some mental health. So if I can help, even if it's just a chat with an unbiased person that you don't know, if that if that's of use to you with your individual situation, then uh, of course I can, I'm willing to help you. Uh, if I can, hopefully I will. Um, but that would be really the best thing. If you have any other questions or anything you'd like to cover specifically related to mental health, you'd like Alva and I to cover, you can leave a comment below or you can send us, send us an email and we'll pick it up and we'll cover it in a future episode. Good stuff. Nice one. And then the second one, if there would be one resource you would people like recommend checking out, if it's either a podcast blog or whatever, like one thing you would be like, okay, read this, listen to this. That's a ton of value to your life. What would it be? Uh, there are two things. I'm going to break one from a mental health point of view. A really good resource from that is the Mind website, the charity Mind um, website. It can it's, it's very, very useful. There's lots of information there. There's lots of stories from people who have been through mental health issues, uh, come out the other side a lot stronger. Um, that can be a really useful place to kind of go to learn about it. Otherwise, speak to a GP. They're very knowledgeable. Uh, they can signpost you in the right direction. Uh, for finances, it really began with me and me learning from financial illiteracy to learning a bit about finances with uh, Pete Matthew and Meaningful Money. He has a wealth of information, videos, podcasts, articles and things on his website, Meaningful Money. I found it really accessible to, to go from a relative financial newbie to, to knowing some stuff about finances. Uh, so I would always recommend Pete Matthew and Meaningful Money. I can definitely second his podcast and website. Uh, really, really high class information. I enjoyed um, listening to it and anywhere from basics to really advanced uh, finance. He has it all covered. So that. I definitely second that one. And then the last question of all, um, what would be the number one actionable tip for somebody to get started on the battle fire? Or like the one thing you would recommend and like, hey, do this and you'll faster track your bet by 50 years or 50 that would be a bit long. But anyway, whatever works for you. Oh, well, something to get people there sooner. Um, I think the most important thing is to understand exactly where all of your money goes. If you end up at the end of the month and you have more month than you have money, um, it's going somewhere. You might not realize actually where it's going. So keep track of what you spend, where you spend it, 
Um, whether that means you simply write your purchases down or you just look at your bank statements online, you spend everything on a card, um, and to fully understand where you can uh, save some money um, and be intentional with your purchases. If you don't need it uh, and you just want it, that can be something that you look at to to address um, because essentially the more money you save, the quicker you'll become financially independent. Nice one. And I think it makes for a great one to wrap this one up. Alex, thank you so much for coming on. I hope to have you on many episodes. And guys, come over to the UK Financial Independence Podcast as well, because Alex and I will host many more episodes coming over there. We will indeed. Thank you, Alvo. Hey, Matthias, do you think there are no financial independence Facebook groups yet? Yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. Gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddit, in Facebook groups, the Fire Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is, in the end, the main reason why we started the whole podcast project, to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe Podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So yeah, just type in FI Europe Podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing through your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.